This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? It's very good, Bryce. Uh, good to be back in studio, in the same room yep. for another episode. Yeah, you look the same as the last time we were in the studio together. So. Yeah, yeah. Although I don't see a mo on you. It is Movember. I've got a mo and you've, you've uh, some other associated facial hair. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, so you're not getting around it this year. I'm actually thinking about getting rid of it all. Your whole beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a big step, you know. It's a uh, well, considering you're bald. Yeah, it'll look it'll look a bit funny. <laughs> it's a real investment. <laughs> See what I did there to uh to grow it back. So true. Yeah. Anyway, watch this space. Watch this space. All right. Looking forward to seeing how you look next time we meet in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ren, today, a bit of a practical episode today. We've we've discussed Berkshire Hathaway A-class shares on the last episode with Matt from State. And so, we thought it'd be a good opportunity to continue with the Buffett theme. He's an absolutely incredible investor and has so many sort of words of wisdom and catchphrases out there that you often hear thrown around But we sort of sat back and thought, well, a lot of these catchphrases you hear, but what do they actually mean in practice for us as an investor? So we thought today we would listen to some of his more common, I guess, rules to investing that he uses and then have a chat about how we can practically apply that in our own sort of trading and investing. A hundred percent. He's always good for a YouTube clip or a... uh inspirational quote um, yeah. always gets the blood pumping when you hear Warren Buffett talk about investing but I guess for a lot of people it's then the question is this quote is great but how does it actually apply so yeah we're gonna try and make that link in we'll give episode. it a shot yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah I wonder what your quote will be on YouTube your one-liner <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to equity mates investing podcast <laughs> well without further ado should we uh, listen to the oracle of Omaha and see what he has to say for his first piece of advice yeah all right so you've got a number of clips lined up yep a Buffett's best of 
Yes. A buffet of Buffett. Yes. <laughs> and, um, All right, enough we'll... from you. Let's hear, <laughs> let's hear, let's hear from Buffett himself. Yeah. So first lesson, I'm sure a lot oh, of... Before we get into it, we actually have written Warren Buffett a letter and an email asking him to come on the show. If he's listening, that, that offer still stands. Oh, absolutely. And if anyone knows Buffett and would <laughs> like to make the introduction, we're very open to yes, it. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, here we go. First rule, and I'm sure everyone probably knows this one. The first rule in investment is don't lose. And the second rule of investment is don't forget the first rule. And that's all the rules there are. I mean, that uh, if you buy things for far below what they're worth and you buy a group of them, you basically don't lose money. Right. Rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. Ren. Yeah, it's a classic line. It is a classic. It actually reminds me a lot of what Matt Leibowitz says, uh, which is... You don't invest to be right. You invest to make money. Yes. Yeah. So then practically speaking, we've all heard this before. From your point of view, Ren, what are some ways that this applies to your investing? So I think from in a real practical sense, just be willing to cut your losses and use things like stop losses to ensure that you're not losing money on a trade. You could be right, you could be 100% right, and you could eventually be proven right. But if you lose a whole lot of money in the interim, it's not a good trade. No. I think one of the questions is, you know, you speak of stop losses and selling a losing stock. At what point do you make the distinction between, say, buying a stock and it, and it dropping in value, but you think it's just part of the market cycle and then making the distinction again and saying, actually, it's time to get out? Yeah. So there's probably two ways to approach this. If, if we were to ask to use Matt again or, you know, more short-term trader, they would probably use something along the lines of what's the volatility of a stock, uh, how much does it move up and down generally, and then they would set a stop loss somewhere below that. And so then if it hits that stop loss price, it's not just general volatility, day-to-day movements, but it's the stock is actually going down. So that's probably more of a technical answer. You could also, if you're thinking from a more fundamentals perspective, it could be something like you sell as soon as the original reason you bought the stock no longer exists. So David Ironhorn, a famous American investor, has a no broken thesis rule. And essentially his rule for his fund is when you pitch a stock, you pitch a thesis. You know, I'm investing in Tesla because China is going to start buying electric cars like nothing else. And then over the course of the journey, you might fall in love with that stock and your original thesis might be broken, but you'll find ways to justify holding it. And so they have a hard and fast rule, no broken thesis. If the original thesis is broken, you sell regardless of other reasons that you fall in love with the stock. So that's another way to sort of limit your potential to lose money. You just take your emotion out of it and you have hard and fast rules about when you sell. Do you think the quote's a bit contradictory to another quote of his that I don't think appears in this clip, but he says our favourite holding period for a stock is forever? Well, no, because they generally have only bought stocks that haven't lost money. So Yeah, well, very easy for him to say that rule then, isn't it? (laughs) Is it a rule that he's set in hindsight? (laughs) Oh, I mean... Yeah, like there's there's a selection bias here. We listen to Warren Buffett and not the person that maybe is just as smart as Warren Buffett but isn't worth $88 billion. But no, I think if you do the work beforehand, well, like he has done a lot of these times, he's not worried about losing money in the trade because 
He's done all the work beforehand. Yeah, big time. Yeah. So from my point of view, Ren, obviously stop losses as well is a very practical way of ensuring that you stop out of an investment. But I think more importantly for me, it's about not becoming emotionally attached, as you said, and having that bias of, oh, either it's going to bounce back or you know, it's dropped so far, I may as well stay in. You know, that's a a bias that a lot of investors sometimes get caught up in and, you know, try and avoid that at all costs, I think. Nice. So speaking of emotion, let's have a listen to his next one. Warren, what do you consider the most important quality for an investment manager? It's a temperamental quality, not an intellectual quality. You you don't need tons of IQ in this business. I mean, you have to have enough IQ to get from here to downtown Omaha, but, uh, but, uh, you do not have to be able to play three-dimensional chess or be in the top leagues in terms of bridge playing or something of the sort. You need a stable personality. You need a temperament that neither derives great pleasure from being with the crowd or against the crowd. Because this is not a business where you take polls. It's a business where you think. And Ben Graham would say that you're not right or wrong because a thousand people agree with you. And you're not right or wrong because a thousand people disagree with you. You're right because your facts and your reasoning are right. Thoughts, Ren? Yeah, I think this quote is bang on. Um, It's interesting, though, because you're not right because a thousand people agree with you. You're right because you make money on a trade. But often you make money on a trade because a thousand people agree with you. So they're making the same that taking the same side of the trade as you because the demand goes yeah exactly yeah (laughs) but i guess it it comes down to time horizon that in in the short term you might make money because a lot of market participants are agreeing with you and so are buying the same thing that you're buying but i guess that over the long term that gets caught out and the fundamentals of a company come to the fore I think one of the biggest things that I really like about what he just said was that you don't need a a huge IQ essentially to be a successful investor. I think it's a very important thing to remember if you're starting out on your journey, like you and I haven't even sort of studied hardcore finance and- Not uh, even uh, softcore finance. Softcore finance, (laughs) yeah. I mean, investing is absolutely one of those life skills that you can pick up and learn outside of any sort of formal training. So I think that's a very important thing to remember and not get swept away and feeling like you're not good enough to ever be a successful investor. Yeah, 100%. There's so much, well, I mean, we, we always talk about this on the podcast. There's so much jargon and there's such an incentive for people in the industry to make it exclusive. But at the end of the day, the, what, what we're trying to figure out is what's a good business, what will be able to grow, what will be able to sell more to more customers over the long period of time. You don't need to have studied finance. In fact, in some instances, having worked in some of these businesses is a better education. Mm. And I think another point here is he's trying to make is also sticking to your guns and not following the crowd when it comes to doing your research and that sort of stuff, which I think is very important. I've certainly made some trades uh, based on what everyone else is doing and have come unstuck that way. So from a practical point of view, I think he's sort of indicating that, you know, you need to be comfortable with what you're doing in your investing and not worrying about what the rest of the crowd is doing. Yeah, it's it's really hard though. Like I know for me, well, let's let's use an example that we've disagreed on. For my mind, I haven't been able to understand the afterpay story and I haven't been able to understand. It's all right. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I'm buffered in this situation and you're the crowd. (laughs) But, you know, it's gone from what you first were looking at it when it was $2 and now it's $26 or something. It was up to $30 at one stage. Mm -hmm. That is a classic example of the crowd disagreeing with me. 
and watching it run has been something where it's like ah oh, like I'm maybe I'm wrong and maybe I probably am wrong but it's difficult to temperamentally block that out when everyone else is killing it or on the flip side if you are convinced of a trade and no one else agrees with you and the price is going down but to that point you still have remained out of the trade and not invest in afterpay because I think probably deep down you still fundamentally don't think that it's going to be a success, I guess. Is that why? Yeah, I I don't think it's not going to be a success. I just don't think it's going to be as big or as exclusive. Like I don't think it's it's got a moat and we'll probably Mm -hmm. get into moats later, but I I just don't understand why Visa or MasterCard or PayPal can't Can't do the same thing. Yeah. I think we'll be talking a bit about Afterpower in our next episode. True, so let's true. have a listen to what Buffett has to say. But I just one one last thing on this. It it is somewhat contradictory. The first thing about not losing money, and then the second thing about ignoring the crowd even when they're going against you. So I guess the the question for Warren that we'll have to ask him on the show when he comes on is if you're convinced that you're correct and the crowd is going against you and the stock price is falling. Do you listen to rule number one and you get out of that trade because you're losing money or do you listen to rule number two and do you block out the crowd and wait out your conviction? Well, let's take note of that question for, <laughs> for when he does hit nuts. It's a, it's a good question. Let's see what he has to say for his third rule of investing. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Warren, what do you do that's different than 90% of the money managers who are in the market? Certainly most of the professional investors focus on what the stock is likely to do in the next year or two. And they have all kinds of, all kinds of uh, uh, arcane uh, uh, methods of, of, of approaching that. But uh, uh, they do not really think of themselves as owning a piece of a business. The, the real test of whether you're investing from a value standpoint or not is whether uh, – you care whether the stock market is open tomorrow. Uh, if you're making a good investment in a security, it shouldn't bother you if they close down the stock market for five years. All the ticker tells me is the price. Yeah. And I can look at the price occasionally to see whether the price is outlandishly cheap or outlandishly high. But, but prices don't tell me anything about a business. Business, uh, business figures themselves tell me something about a business, but the price of a stock doesn't tell me anything about a business. I would rather value a stock or a business first and not even know the price so that I'm not influenced by the price in establishing my valuation and then look at the price later to see whether it's way out of line with what my value is. Interesting. Yeah. 
One one we've heard before very much. I've I've heard him say that you should always buy a stock and going into it, if the market were to close for 10 years, would you still want to own a piece of that business because you're not worried about the price? You're actually concerned about investing into a good business. So... So I think let's take this down to the practicals because it's easy to say, don't worry about the share price, just invest in good businesses. I guess what Warren doesn't talk about there is what he would look for Hmm. rather than the share price going up. So what, what are some things that you would look for that you think would be metrics for a good business? Well, I don't think I'd necessarily start with hardcore metrics, personally, from um, a practical standpoint. You know, we just touched on moats, so I'd be looking at things like, does it have really good competitive advantage in the marketplace compared to other businesses in the industry? Does it have strong revenue? Is it in an industry that is in a growth area? You know, start to look at those sort of more qualitative aspects of the business just to get a general understanding of where it sits in sort of the sphere. And also, I think, you know, we've spoken about this before, but just generally, do I understand how the business works is probably very important as well. And then you can go and start having a look at the balance sheet, understanding its debt, even things like a management buying shares, do they have vested interest, that sort of stuff. What about yourself? I mean, for me, a good business is a pretty simple concept. That's a, There's a lot of variations of it, but right it's- Warren. and that's the extent of the quote (laughs) no i think like at at the end of the day you want a business that is doing something where it can take the money that it's earning and invest it in what it's doing and grow what it's doing and has the ability to raise prices if it needs to over a long period of time and so you just get this self-fulfilling cycle where every year it invests more money that it takes the money that's earning, invests it in the business, grows its business and generates more profit, invests that profit, grows, generates more profit. Like it is a it is a pretty simple cycle that most businesses are really trying to get in that into that feedback loop and just just keep running on that wheel. Like tell me a business that isn't trying to do that. Yeah. And so some of the key metrics there, you know, things like return on equity, return on invested capital, revenue growth profit growth. They're the proxies that tell some of that story. But really, you have some businesses that have got to the point where they're like, we're not we're not going to grow anymore. And instead, we'll just give our cash back to our investors. And you know, I think about things like cigarette companies as a classic example of that, where they just generate cash. They're not really investing it in growth. And that's the sort of their businesses that are sort of done and they're just ticking along. That's not a business that we want to own for the next 40 years. We want to own the business that is at an earlier stage in its growth and will just continue to take money and find ways to invest it in its core business or in, you know, associated businesses. That's that's really the the long and the short of it. So then he just he he describes here that he often oh well you know he he doesn't regard price as the first sort of indicator. He'll often do the research into the business itself and then worry about the price because obviously the price you buy it at is important. So I have a real practical question about this. Like you know, on Ko, you can tell it have no spoilers and it won't tell you the score. Yeah, you can't do that with the stock market. Like, how do you not see the price? Like, even accidentally, 
Like when you're researching stocks, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm calling him out. I don't believe that he doesn't say the price. Mate, he doesn't have a computer. <laughs> yeah, still. <laughs> he just reads the paper. Any like analyst report or any newspaper, it has the price on it. Mate, it's just a quote. It's just a quote. <laughs> well, look, all I'm saying is from a practical perspective, I don't believe that you could do deep research into a stock without accidentally finding Stumbling out its share price. The, price yeah. <laughs> the question I have from a, a practical point of view is, well, when we both do that sort of initial research into the company and do the sort of qualitative stuff, have a look at ROI and whatnot, do you ever really sit down to figure out what is its sort of fair value? What is its stock price? Yeah, I've started to try and do it. But for me, this is probably the, where the fact that we didn't study finance uh, starts <laughs> to hurt us is you know, if you're doing a like a discount cash flow or whatever it is, um, these different models, you just change. You can change the variables to get what you want. A yeah. discount rate of twelve percent, a discount rate of eight percent, a growth rate of ten percent, a growth rate of fourteen yeah. percent. Like it seems highly subjective. It seems like we don't have a good enough grasp on the key data inputs mm. to have a really strong output. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Something that I'm still very much in the process of learning and understanding, much more on the buying into the growth aspect of the stock more than anything. Someone, I can't remember who, one, I read it somewhere or I may have been on a podcast. Someone was talking about how they run their fund and they say they, when an analyst brings them a stock recommendation, they ask for 10 pages on the company, one page on the management and one line on the valuation. Nice. And that stuck with me. Obviously, who said it didn't stick with me well enough, <laughs> yeah. which would be really useful in this situation. But I thought that was an interesting way of thinking about the sort of weighting of the different factors. Yeah, big time. All right, Ren, moving on. But just a quick context to this next one. Warren actually lives in Omaha and uh, it's a long way from Wall Street in Nebraska. So this is a- Sorry, a- sorry. Omaha's in Nebraska. Wall Street isn't in Nebraska. <laughs> that's <laughs> correct. That's correct, Ren. Thank you. Omaha is in Nebraska. Uh, and this is just a bit about, I guess, how he removes the- hype. Let's have a listen. A thundering herd is actually on four feet. Don't you find Omaha a little bit off the beaten track for the investment world? Well, believe it or not, uh, we get mail here and uh, we get periodicals and we get all the facts needed to make decisions. And unlike Wall Street, you'll notice we don't have 50 people coming up and whispering in our ear that we should be doing this or that this afternoon. You appreciate the lack of stimulation here? I like the lack of stimulation. We get facts, not stimulation here. How can you stay away from Wall Street? Well, if I were in Wall Street, I'd probably be a, a lot poorer. At, uh, uh, you get overstimulated in Wall Street, and uh, uh, you hear lots of things, and and you, you may you may shorten your focus, and a short focus uh, is not conducive to uh, to long profits. And uh, here, I can just focus on what businesses are worth, and I don't need to be uh, in Washington to figure out what the Washington Post. Uh, newspaper is worth, and I don't need to be in New York to figure out what uh, some other company is worth. It's 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 simply it's an intellectual process, right. and, uh, and the less the less static there is in that intellectual process, really, the better off you are. You like this one, Ren, don't you? I do. I just want to start by saying he said he receives letters in Omaha, but he obviously hasn't received our letter. <laughs> 
Uh, I like this so much that I'm actually going to move to Broken Hill. And, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> Away from George Street Sydney's, in Sydney. Uh, Sydney's too stimula- stimulatory. <laughs> too much stimulus in Sydney for me. So for me, this is all just about not giving into the hype, I guess, not buying into the noise that is all around us in the investing world and sticking to your guns, really. So I think... Yeah, you're right. I do love this one. And from a, it's it's one that I have to often remind myself of what I'm doing. So very practically, I think the really important thing here is there's so much noise on, you know, on social media, on whatever, on the news, in your podcast feed about, you know, particular stocks that get a lot of attention and a lot of hype and, you know, sell clicks, essentially. It's not so much of it is noise. And for me, there's probably two things that focusing on that detracts from. One is the 80% of the stock market that doesn't get all the hype, where there's so much, there's probably better opportunity because there's no, not as much focus. And so, you know, spending hours reading about Tesla is, there's an opportunity cost there of cutting that noise out and spending hours researching or learning about other companies that are probably better buys than Tesla. And then the second thing is reading a whole lot of, you know, short-term day-to-day focused news articles and stuff like that means you're not reading longer form, you know, investing books and stuff like that. And I think there's really no doubt that there's exponentially more value in those longer form books than there are in that short-term day-to-day stuff. And I, I realize the irony of a podcaster talking that way, but I mean... We're all here on this journey together and I think cutting out the noise and being really conscious of where where you're spending your time because we all only have a limited amount of time. It's important to just be very conscious of that. Absolutely. I think the quality of the publication is an easy way in which you can distinguish between noise and sort of that longer form stuff. And to your point, Ren, I think books is a great way of reducing that day-to-day noise that just gets slammed at you update after update after update. If you can just pick some of the best investing books out there, you know, the top 10, it's an awesome way of probably getting everything you really need to know from a a starting point and forgetting about the rest. I think I've cracked this line out on the podcast before, but one of our mates interviewed John Hempton, the legendary Australian short seller. Yeah. And his line was, uh, you have to read five investing books. It doesn't matter which five, but you just have to read five. And so I think that's a really good starting point. Mm. Just pick, pick five that look interesting or you recognize the investors that wrote them and just start by reading five. Cut out the financial news for a week or two. Get off social media and see how you feel. Absolutely. We've got some of our favorites at equitymates.com forward slash books. So head there and see what we've been reading over the last couple of years. All right, a couple to go, Ren. Let's see what Warren's got to say on this next one. What is the intellectual process? The intellectual process is is defining your level, defining your area of competence in valuing businesses. And then within that area of competence, finding whatever sells at the, at, at the cheapest price in relation to value. And there are all kinds of things I'm not competent to value, but there are a few that I am competent to value. Good one. To me, this is just, you've got to understand what you're buying. 
Yeah, 100%. If you don't understand what you're buying, then you could come into a, a real problems. And I guess, you know, it's reflective of a, a number of the other things that he's been saying, but that circle of competence is a powerful tool in your investing toolkit is if you can understand the business, then when they are giving market updates or when analysts are talking about it, you can form opinions and I guess frame a better thesis than if you had no idea what the company was doing. Yeah, 100%. So in our Melbourne live show, Owen made the comment that biotech is in no one's circle of competence. Yeah. I, I appreciated that. I thought it was it was well justified. You know, if it's, if it's on the cutting edge of technology, very experimental, by definition, no one has competence on it because if people had competence on it, it wouldn't be experimental. Yeah. For me, personally, a lot of mining is outside my circle of competence. Like I understand the BHP and the Rio, but in terms of what opportunities they have to grow to find new mines when they're exploring new things. And as you go down the chain, if you talk about the explorers and stuff like no, no idea what's a good explorer and what's a bad explorer. For me, it's a gamble. I I don't understand that well enough. So I stay away from that. That's outside my circle of competence. Is there anything in, for you where you're just think I'm steering clear? Definitely mining as well. And then, uh, you know, a lot of sort of uh, industrial stuff or if even sometimes software as a service, the, it's so competitive and especially in, in the infant stage of, of businesses, understanding how they all, I guess, operate in terms of offering their product to companies. It can be a bit confusing as well. So I tend to take a bit of time to try and understand them. But again, Definitely not in my circle of competence. Retail very much in my circle of confidence. I was going to say, your, your circle of confidence is Australian retail. <laughs> Aussie retail and the buy now, pay later yeah. sector. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's definitely ways to expand your circle of competence. Obviously, the biggest one is to go work in the industry for a few years, but <laughs> that would you'd need a long life to have a big circle of competence if you were going to do it that way. So I think, again, it's just about researching and reading and learning, ideally speaking to people, if you've got mates that work in particular industries. Even products that you use, like that in itself is a pretty good indication of whether or not you're going to understand generally how that business works. Think of Facebook and those sorts of businesses. You Mm. know how Facebook works. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's definitely ways to expand it, but what you'll find is that there are certain industries where you try and understand how it all works and you don't, and then it's not in your circle of competence. Yeah. All right. Final one, Ren. Ever bought a technology company? No, I really haven't. In 30 years of investing, not one. Sensational. So, I don't, you know, I, there are all kinds of things I don't know. I work that hard on uh, at a price. People to do. Warren, you're, you're very tough for people to do. Warren, your your approach seems so simple. Why doesn't everybody do it? Well, I think partly because it is so simple. That uh, the academics, for example, focus on on uh, um, all kinds of variables. Partly uh, by because academics, you mean uh, professors, of right? Finance, the, yeah, the, the and data business, is in business school. Sure, the, and the data is there. So they focus on whether if you buy stocks on Tuesday and sell them on Friday, you're better off, or if you buy them in election years. Uh, and, and sell them in other years, you're better off, or if you buy small companies, there are all these variables because the data are there. And, and they've learned how to manipulate data. And as a friend of mine says to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And once you have these skills, you just are, are, are dying to, uh, 
to utilize them in some way, but they aren't important. Uh, if I were being asked to participate in a business opportunity, would it make any difference to me whether I bought it on a Tuesday or a Saturday or an election year or something? It's not what a businessman thinks about in buying businesses. So why think about it when buying stocks? Because stocks are just pieces of businesses. So, Ren, I think he just stole your quote where you said investing is really simple. You said that about 15 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> there you go. Come on, uh, Warren. For, for me, this is all about uh, just really trying to not over overcomplicate things. At the end of the day, if we're all starting out on our journey, not getting worried about all of these, as he says, data points and, and that sort of stuff. It's just about, from my point of view, firstly, just getting in there and having a crack and then the rest will come because there are some simple steps that you can take, we know, with the products that are available at the moment to get into the market. Yeah, 100%. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. He did talk he about it. He was talking about Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, the thing for me, and I'm still trying to get my head around this, I guess, you know, it's very easy for him to say how simple it is, but it always seems more difficult when you're doing the research process, when you're second guessing yourself, when you're trying to synthesize these ideas and apply these principles. But I guess, yeah, at the end of the day, for me, the attitude that I've taken is kind of a bit of a, you know, effort. The worst that can happen is I lose a bit of money and I think hopefully in 60 years we'll have our own uh, Berkshire Hathaway-like fund and uh, um, okay. we'll be able to be <laughs> dropping quotes saying how simple and how easy it is. <laughs> True. But I think from, you know, people our age who are, just starting to navigate it and who don't have you know 128 billion dollars in cash and have a lifetime of a really good track record it's always a lot easier said than done but i guess the only way to get over that is to go through it yeah absolutely and to always think it's too hard and too complicated it will never get easier absolutely and so that's been my attitude of late it's you just the only way it's going to you know, be easier is if I start to understand, you know, these indicators, these metrics, these patterns in these sort of businesses generally mean this, you know, you build that knowledge base. Yeah, same with anything, the same with, you mm. know, our day jobs, the same with whatever, the more experience you have, the easier it becomes. Yeah. And Warren's talking from a position, I don't know how old he was when he was interviewed there, but he had that experience. And Absolutely. I think for us, it's just about building that you know knowledge base and that wealth of experience putting in the hours 10,000 hours to become a master I think it is Ren so um, we've got a few hours to go but how, many, how many hours of this podcast have we done too many <laughs> <laughs> well look I hope uh, everyone's got some practical sort of understanding of how we think about these quotes that continuously get spat out by Warren and um, you know media outlets rinse and repeat these quotes from him and uh, it's it's important to sort of think about what he's saying in relation to your investing journey. So I think for me, the two final thoughts for me are one, quotes are easy, and two, they're malleable. Like you can you can take any of those quotes and apply them to six or seven different situations or whatever, and you can find a way to make them relevant. The, quote, the quotes aren't going to get you to where you need to be. Absolutely. What is going to get you where you need to be is our series, <laughs> Get Started Investing. It'll get you started. <laughs> At the end of the day, 
you got to get there yourself. Absolutely. Shameless plug. It, uh, we're going to be releasing a 12-part mini-series on all the fundamentals that we've sort of learned and picked up from our expert investors over the last two and a half years. Uh, we've we've created it into a, a nice little package and it is now on your podcast feed, Get Started Investing with Equity Mates. We will be launching it very soon, but make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss the launch of that and tell your friends as well, get them on it. So without further ado, Ren, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Always good to chat stocks and we'll talk next week. Sounds good. Equity Mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.